My name is Bill, and I am a man who knows what he wants. I know what it takes to make a good Christian life, and customizing your church-going experience is the way to go. Take this morning, for example. Beautiful Sunday morning. I wake up. I know it's going to be a good day. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Modern conversion, bagels. I love me some bagels. New Horizons has the best bagels in town. I always ask for blueberry because ask and you shall receive. So I get me some blueberry bagels. And then after I eat those bagels, I got to wash it down. So I head over to St. Josephine's to get the coffee. They serve Starbucks. Then the best thing on the list there is the Luke 638 Leche Cappuccino. It's good measure, pressed down, shaken together. It's running over into me. It's good. It's good. I like the greeters at Morningside Baptist. They're the best. They give the best hugs. And so you really can feel the warmth. Then I head over to Open Hearts for worship. Then I head back to Hillside AG for the sermon because the preacher is a good preacher. He gives me lots of things to think about, but doesn't make me feel too guilty when I don't think about it. You know what I mean? You know, no? Well, regardless, right after that, I head over right across the street for communion because they give you an entire dinner roll. Boom. Like, not, eh, boom. An entire one. There's no butter for it, but it's okay. It's the body of Christ. Doesn't need butter. From there, I head over to the Crock-Pot Lutheran Church for their weekly potluck. They do it every Sunday. So good. They know how to feed my soul. Sticky buns and chicken casserole. <laughs> so it's all about customizing your church-going experience. Jesus said, God helps those who help themselves. That might have been Ben Franklin, but either way, they're both smart dudes. So how's your spiritual life? What? How's my spiritual life? I guess I'll have to find a church for that. All right. Aren't you glad you found a church that feeds your spirit? Yeah. And today, we're going to feed your stomach, too. And you don't have to go all over town, all right? We got it all downstairs. I love it uh, when you hear someone like that. I don't know if you noticed it, but he took a lot of Bible verses there and misused them, didn't he, to, to kind of say what he wanted the Bible to say. That's why I think it's so important that you belong to a church that teaches the Bible in context with the Bible. That's really, really important that we have that. Every Sunday, if you have just a feel-good topic, I love what he said in there, you know, it, makes, it doesn't make you feel too guilty, you know. You don't want a, a preacher that, you know, doesn't let the Holy Spirit do what the Holy Spirit can do. Um, but you can't have just a feel-good message every Sunday because that's like getting a couple bites on your plate, and that's it. You know, here we go through the Bible, 
You know, we're at, going through the harmony of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you're going to get the meat and potatoes. And you want it all, don't you? You want a full plate. And today, the spiritual feast, we're in John 9. John chapter 9. And uh, you're going to see in John 9 the, uh, a, a verse from a song, a hymn, that you're very, very familiar with. I know you're very familiar with it because we sang it once already today, and we're going to sing it again. And that is amazing grace. In John 9, you're going to see a, a truth, a very important truth. And we all like the truth, right? We love the truth. The truth sets us free, as we saw. And the truth that we see this morning is that God can use any person to glorify himself. In John 9, God used a blind beggar to change a community. And I believe God can use us to bring hope to our community. Every single one of us, we're going to see that that's possible. And after all, aren't we all just blind beggars who found some bread, the bread of life? And God wants to shine his light through us to change our community to show our love, to show God's love. The great truth of John 9, God wants to use you to glorify himself. And the title is Amazing Grace. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, may your word today shine into our hearts. May it open our eyes. May we see that we all have a purpose in life and that we need to glorify you. That you didn't create us You didn't save us so that we could get what we wanted, but you did it so that we would glorify you. All things for you, for you get the glory. In Jesus' name, and the church said. So my first question I want to kind of cover in in this passage here is, can God really use anyone? Can God really use anyone? You may have looked in the mirror before. You may have thought to yourself, how can God use me? I mean, what good could I do for the kingdom of heaven? One of the first questions that you typically ask when a child is born is mom and dad, or is mom and baby healthy? You ever asked that question before? That's kind of something you want to know, you know, the baby comes into the world. But what if the baby is not? What if the child has a disability? Now what? Do do you know the challenges, and maybe some of you do, of of the stress, the, the difficulties there are when your child has a disability? Some friends of ours didn't sleep through the night for over 20 years because their son was a quadriplegic. He is. He's still alive today after over 30 years, which is amazing. But when Brandon, just to give you an example, wanted to roll over in the middle of the night, he couldn't do that on his own. So his parents had to do that for him. Just think about how many times you roll over in the middle of the night, you don't even think about it. Well, every time Brandon wanted to, they had to do it for him. And that's just one challenge that they had. When a child has a disability, sometimes parents blame God. Sometimes 
people get angry with God. And if you know someone that is blaming God or is angry with God, I hope that you will show them John chapter 9. Because I believe that here we see great hope. Great hope. Because in John chapter 9, verse 1, we see that this whole chapter is about a blind man from birth. He was born blind. Just for a few seconds, imagine what that was like for him growing up. The challenges that he had. Imagine the challenges the parents had. And now we see in this chapter that as an adult, he has to beg for money, beg for food to live. Imagine what he had to go through. And then, in verse 2, you're going to see why his disability made it even worse. In verse 2, the disciples asked Jesus, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You see, it was a common belief back then that if a child was born with a disability, that it was sin that caused it. So these parents must have sinned. Now, what made him think that? Numbers, in the Old Testament, Numbers uh, chapter 14, verse 18 says, The Lord is slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. He will forgive iniquities and transgressions. But for the guilty, he will visit their iniquity, their sin, on the fathers of, the, of those children to the third and the fourth generation. And that's what they lived with. That's what they understood. The Jewish people took sin very seriously. And these parents struggled probably for years and years and years with a lot of guilt and shame. Maybe it wasn't them, maybe it was their parents, or, but they viewed this child as something that, that they caused. And even the blind man probably lived with guilt and shame. Somehow he thought maybe he sinned in the womb. Isn't that interesting? The disciples asked that question. Did this man sin? Did he sin in the womb? I mean, did he kick his mom too much? You know, did he, did he sleep on a rib cage too much? You know, is it her fault she doesn't want to eat peanut butter and pickles anymore? I, I, I don't know. You know, what, what's the reason they would ask that question? But look at verse 3. Jesus said, it was not this man who sinned or his parents who sinned, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Now, do you see what Jesus just did there? What Jesus did is he dismisses the cause of the sin, of the disability, I should say. He dismisses the cause, and he focuses on the purpose. The purpose of this man's blindness, his disability, was to bring God glory. To bring God glory. I've mentioned this man before, Nick Vujicic. Nick Vujicic, I have a picture of him here. You may recognize him. I've shown a video of him before, and I've talked about him before. He was born in Australia without arms or legs. Of course, he would tell you he's got a little flipper on his right leg there that he, he can use to, to do different things. But he was bullied in grade school and middle school, and he was at the point where he had no hope, and he attempted suicide. 
Now, praise God that he didn't have, didn't die because what happened next is the light of the world shone into his life. And he began to follow Jesus. He found hope in Jesus. And he found a purpose for his life. That he could bring God glory. And what Nick did next is he became an anti-bullying advocate and he began sharing his story in Australia and different places that would have him come and speak. And to this day, he has now authored several books, two of which I have read and are so encouraging. Nick's one of the most sought-after speakers in the world. He's given millions of people hope. He's fulfilling his God-given purpose through his disability. Now, I understand that many with disabilities might not be able to do what Nick has done. You may know someone that is not going to speak, they're not going to see, they're not going to get out of that wheelchair. But that doesn't mean God isn't going to use them to bring glory to himself. Think about their caregivers. Think about the people that they influence because of their disability. Have you ever heard of Dick Hoyt? The father of a quadriplegic son. He ran 32 Boston marathons pushing his son in the wheelchair. You think that brought hope and encouragement to all the people watching and seeing and hearing his story? I think one of the most challenging questions that you can ever ask God is what are you revealing in me because of someone else you put in my life? Or better yet, how can I bring God glory because of this person that you've put in my life? If you're brave enough to ask that question, and search out the answer, I think you will be blessed. How can I bring God glory because of this person you've put in my life? Can God use anyone? Yeah, God can use anyone. Now, how did this blind man discover that God had a purpose for his life? The answer is he had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. Jesus looked at him face to face, walked up to him in John chapter 9. He couldn't see who it was, but certainly he heard about Jesus. Jesus had become very famous. We're actually at the point where Jesus is about six months from his crucifixion on the cross. We've already covered the three years of his ministry this whole year in 2021. And we'll, we'll continue on and we'll, we'll head through next year to the cross Um, And we'll finish that on Easter, uh, fittingly. And so here we are. Jesus comes up to this man, and he does something that moms aren't going to think isn't very hygienic, but he spits in the dirt, he makes a little mud, and he wipes it on his eyes. Then he says, verse 7, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam is in Jerusalem. Siloam means sent. And the man went, and he washed, and he came back seeing. Now, don't miss the faith of this man. Don't miss his faith. He responded to Jesus with faith. I believe if he would have washed, his face 
anywhere else, if he didn't go to the pool of Siloam, he would have still been blind. He had faith. He obeyed Jesus. And I've taught on this many times before. Faith does not have any power in itself. Faith moves you to the power source. It plugs you in to the one who has the power. Jesus has the power. God has the power to heal. Now, the rest of John 9 is really full of controversy. You'll you'll read it, and I'm going to sum it up for you, kind of the series of events. But it's controversial because Jesus, once again, healed on the Sabbath. It's as if Jesus just knew how to stir the pot with these Pharisees and the scribes, these religious leaders. You know, he just knew how to push their buttons. And, it, and, and so it's, it's controversial because now this man has been healed, and he was healed on the Sabbath, and on the Sabbath you're not supposed to do any work, and Jesus did work, he healed this man. So first, the man's neighbors recognized that this man who begged for food every day, who was blind, is now looking at them in the eye. You ever met someone that's blind? They don't look you in the eye. They don't know where your eye is. So you kind of know when you're talking to a blind person. But now, imagine these neighbors. This blind, this man who was blind, is looking at them right in the eyes. And they're tripping out, probably. Like, what's going on? Aren't you, aren't you, you're supposed, you're supposed to be blind. And now you're looking, you, you can see me? What's going on? And so they kind of freaked out, and so they took the man to the religious leaders. And the religious leaders then question him, and he tells them the whole story. Jesus did this, and I did this, and now I can see. And they're like, this can't be. And so then they go to his parents, and they they ask his parents. Now his parents wouldn't say anything because word on the street is, if you admit or you say Jesus is the coming Messiah, the one we've been waiting for, the Savior, our Savior, if you say that Jesus, this man we know, came from Nazareth, right, heals on the Sabbath, doesn't honor the Sabbath. If if you say he's the Messiah, well, you're out. We're going to kick you out of the synagogue, kick you out of church. Now you you think, okay, that's fine, whatever, kick you out of church. Okay, I'll go find a new one. No, it doesn't work that way. It's a cultural thing here. It's a way of life. Everything is affected. You might not have a job. You might not be able to buy food anymore if you get kicked out of the synagogue. So the parents don't say anything because they're fearing that. And honestly, they're probably freaking out a little bit too (laughs) that their son can now see. Well, the last thing that happens is the man is brought back to the religious leaders and they question him again. And here I'll help you um, see it for yourself, verse 24. They say to him, give glory to God. I find those words so amusing because I'm pretty sure he's about to do that although they're not going to like it. Give glory to God. They said, we know that this man, Jesus, is a sinner. Now, verse 25, he says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know is though I was blind, now I see. 
Those words sound a little familiar to you? Yeah, they come from Amazing Grace, the most famous hymn of all time. John Newton wrote that hymn all the way back in 1772. And by the way, his story is amazing. John Newton served in the Royal Navy. After the Royal Navy, he got caught up in the Atlantic slave trade. And it was on one of those trips in which his ship was about to go down because of this terrible storm that came up. And he called out to God for mercy. And God saved him. And that changed John Newton's life forever. From there, he became an abolitionist against slavery. From there, in 1764, he was ordained in the Church of England, and he served the Lord for 43 years, preaching and writing hymns. And some of those hymns made their way to America. And it was during the Second Great Awakening revival here in America that Amazing Grace became a favorite. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. That's what John Newton said. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. And of course, John Newton was talking about his own spiritual blindness. He didn't want anything to do with God until he needed God. Can you relate? Yeah, I can, definitely. But God didn't throw that in his face. He gave him amazing grace. And he saved him. And he'll save you if you call on the name of Jesus. God continues to open spiritual eyes today. All over the world right now, people's eyes are being opened to the truth that Jesus Christ came into this world, lived a perfect, sinless life, died on the cross, and God looks at his life and the blood he shed on the cross as propitiation, as a way of substituting us he is our sacrifice, our one and only sacrifice, and that we can go to heaven, we can be forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, where there is no, there is no forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. And some people, when they hear that truth, respond by just closing their eyes and praying to God and saying, thank you, God, I believe it, I get it now, I understand, you sent your son Jesus to die for me just for me, and I'm willing, uh, I want to be, I want to have a relationship with you, I love you, and some people respond with just a prayer. Some people come forward at church, come to the altar, and they make it official that way as they call out to God, and some people, well, they get excited, they jump around. Uh, I've seen that too, and they start hugging everybody. I remember when I was saved, I cried tears of joy. I sat in a hotel room. For the first time in my life, I knew God loved me and he had a plan for my life. And I just cried. I don't know what else to do. And I don't know, I don't cry too often, but I wept that day. If God has opened your eyes, say hallelujah. Hallelujah. God does all the work. We respond with faith. But I do want to warn you. I do want to warn you. It's going to cost you something. It's going to cost you something. I know there's preachers today that that won't warn you. They won't tell you 
that it's going to cost you something. They tell you that God wants you to be healthy and God wants you to be wealthy, um, but they don't tell you the whole truth. And I want you to know the truth. Um, I think it's important that following Jesus is going to cost you something. We, We have this sort of notion today that being a Christian doesn't cost you anything, and I think that's because being a Christian, that definition of what is a Christian is is so, so wide and vast. There's so many different definitions of a Christian. That's why I don't even really like to say, are you a Christian? I like to say, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Because I think there, there is a difference there. Following Jesus will cost you something. Let's look at the blind man's life. When his eyes were opened, he had some boldness, and he says in verse 33, if this man were not from God, well, he could do nothing. That's pretty bold, because what they said is, you were born in utter sin, and you're going to teach us? And they cast him out. They kicked him out of the synagogue. So his life's never going to be the same now, because he stood up, he took a stand, and he said, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I believe in him. He healed me. Now, verse 35, Jesus heard what happened to him, and so he pursued him. Don't you love it when Jesus pursues you? He found him, and he, and he said to him, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Now, the Son of Man is a reference to the Messiah. Verse 36, he said, Who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said, You're looking at him. In verse 38, this man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. I have a lot of favorite verses in the Bible, but John 10, 38 is one of those verses. Doesn't that just make you smile when you read that? Lord, I believe, and he worshiped Jesus. Even though this man would not have the same friends, he probably would have to move and start over. He probably would struggle to find food and work for the rest of his life, but that doesn't take away the joy, and the peace that he has. He is now truly happy. Aren't you so glad that Jesus didn't preach the way some preach today? That he explained to him that this is going to cost you something. He was honest with him. In fact, probably the words that every so-called Christian should memorize is Luke 9, 23. And he said to them, if anyone would come after me, Let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You see, that's a Christ follower. That's a Jesus follower there. Someone who takes up his cross daily. And what does a cross represent? Death. Death to your old life because you are a new creation in Christ. You die, you crucify your sins, your fleshly desires every day and you renew your mind in Christ Jesus. You take captive every thought, all that stinking thinking you got going on in your head. You take captive all of that, and you make it obedient to Jesus Christ. And that kind of preaching, well, it doesn't usually fill up stadiums and sell a lot of books. But it's the truth, and that's what Jesus preached. And so it brings this question to mind. Why on earth would you choose to follow Jesus? If it means you have to take up your cross daily, 
Why would you want to follow Jesus? I think the only way I can answer that is this song that we love. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I once was blind, but now I see. And what do you see as a Christ follower? You see the unconditional love of God. Not the conditional love that we often experience in today's world, but the unconditional love of God. And you see this abounding grace of Jesus Christ, that no matter what sin you do, grace abounds more. And you see the comforting fellowship of the Holy Spirit through the body of Christ. Everyone desires what Christ has to offer. Who wants to be loved without condition? Raise your hand. Who wants to be forgiven for everything you've ever done? Raise your hand. And who wants to be cared for during your greatest trials? Everyone wants those things, whether you raise your hand or not. But that's what you can have when you follow Jesus. Those are the genuine promises from God. And that's why millions upon millions today will pick up their cross daily and follow him. The benefits far outweigh the cost. Because we were once lost, but now we're found. We were blind, but now we can see. Amen? Amen. Can our team come up to lead us in the most famous hymn of all time? Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for John 9. Thank you for verse 38. That we all may believe and worship you. Father, as we sing this song to you, as we think about the wretch we once were, and that you saved us, Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that maybe has never experienced your amazing grace, that maybe they would come forward today and receive what you have for them. Or maybe they'll just sit where they're at and pray and call out to you. Whatever the case, Father, I pray that they will let someone know that they are a follower, that they understand the cost, and they will follow you to all the days of their life. In Jesus' name, and the church said, Amen. Amen.